but I'm honored to be back. This is what we in Louisiana call laniap. How many of you would like to learn a little Cajun French, would you? Okay, here's, here's the word, laniap. Can you say that? Laniap. Uh, look it up. It's spelled like you would never believe. It's got G's and N's and all kind of French spellings in it. What it means is a little extra. In the old Cajun hospitality, if you bought a dozen eggs from a farmer, he would throw one or two extra in and say, that's laniap. If you were buying a bag of apples, he would say, that's laniap. So here I am, I'm back, and it's laniap Sunday. You get another dose of me. Is that all right? If you have your Bibles or your iPads or, as I say, your ancient Jewish scrolls, you may want to turn to Deuteronomy chapter 2. That will be uh, the, the key verse that we will talk about today. Well, I want to talk to you. Have you ever heard this phrase from someone that you, you made a phone call and they say, May I put you on hold? How many of you have heard that phrase only to have them click before you could say, no, 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 no. And now you're listening to beautiful music that is really only meant to soothe your rising temperature. Because I, I'm often dealing with airlines and I don't know why they cannot hire enough people to answer the phone. But the only thing worse than when they say, may I put you on hold, is when another announcement comes on and says, your call will be answered in the... You guys been on the same phone call with me? And then they'll say, uh, the on hold time, your wait time is approximately 32 minutes. And what do you do? You suddenly go from being on hold to being hold on. Because I, I, I've got some things to tell you. So, uh, Have you ever felt like God put you on hold? I forgot, all of you are so spiritual that... <clears throat> I have. I've had times in my life when I felt like Wait a minute, God. Why do you have me on hold? I need to be making some progress. And the only thing worse than being put on hold on a telephone, and maybe it's because of my constant travel, but on these thunderstorm-riddled summer afternoons, it's quite common for me to hear the pilot come on the plane and come on the, the intercom in the plane and say, uh, ladies and gentlemen, uh, you may have noticed we are in a holding pattern. And how would you know? Because the plane has made one left turn after another. And you can look down there and see the, the, the airport and you just keep circling. How many of you have ever been on a plane when it had to circle? And you're waiting on, I don't know, people to get out of the way. 
the rain to improve uh, other planes that might need to land. And worse than being put on hold on a phone, because at least, you know, I've learned if I'm going to be on the phone where I'm going to be put on hold, I get a cup of coffee because I might as well enjoy it. And sometimes I get a book and I might as well read. And then I have them on that speakerphone and I forget that I'm even on hold until suddenly somebody comes on and says, hello, hello, oh, excuse me, excuse me, because I don't want to miss. I've actually had them hang up before I could pick the phone back up again. And then you have to do what? Doesn't that just make your blood pressure go down? (laughs) No, it doesn't. Once last summer, I was on a plane that circled so long that we were running short of fuel And they had to divert it to another airfield. And there's nothing worse than landing in San Antonio when where you really were wanting to be is Dallas. Only to land so late at night that the airport is completely closed. They can't even refuel the plane. The pilots have exceeded their hours. There's nobody to handle they, can't, they did not even have the staff to get the luggage off the plane. And we were just happily sort of dumped in the airport. No restaurants still open. And I knew from being an established traveler that my luggage would somehow find its way to somewhere I was. But I was, I was going to have to take the situation in hand. So I hired a taxi and four hours and $250 of cab fare later, I had left San Antonio and I was in Austin, Texas, couch surfing on my brother-in-law's couch in order to catch a plane at 6 a.m. the next morning just to take me back where I started from the day before. Is it? travel glamorous that's what the frustration of being on hold is like have you ever maybe for some of you you felt like I just described your life that you feel like you're a a fish swimming upstream and you can never quite get back to where you're supposed to be and you're circling but you can never land in the plate, everything is up in the air, and you cannot get your destiny settled. Do you know that the Old Testament has an equivalent of the airplane circling but not landing? And it's when the children of Israel left Egypt and they came very close to crossing into the promised land in Deuteronomy. Chapter 2, verse 1, it says that when God sent them on that that circle, that's when the pilot comes on the plane and says, ladies and gentlemen, we are going to have to spend some time circling here. Deuteronomy chapter 2, verse 1, is when God sends the children of Israel circling the wilderness. 
It says, then we turned back. Everybody say, turned back. You don't want to get close to your goal only to have to turn back. I've actually been where the plane tried to land and it made an approach and couldn't land. I've actually been on the plane when it made two approaches and couldn't land. And do you know how frustrating it is to fly by and see the airport with the people waiting for you and just, and right back up, can't land, problems. This is where Israel, God told Israel, you're not going into the promised land. He said, you're turned back and you set out toward the wilderness. It's an exciting day when God says, uh, you need, you need some, you need a time out. Does anybody here ever use those phrases with their children as, as ways of discipline? You need a time out. Have you ever done that? It maybe tell them you need to go in the other room and sit, sit in there. You need a time out. God is basically telling Israel, you need a time out. And he's sending them. He set set them out toward the wilderness along the route to the Red Sea. And Moses says, for a long time, everybody say a long time. Forty years is a long time. For a long time, we made our way around the hill country of Seir. They just kept circling. That sinking feeling when the pilot throttles the plane back up and makes a turn away from the airfield and says, we have to circle. And then you wait on air traffic control to release the plane to finally land. There's 40 years that take place between uh, Deuteronomy chapter 2 verse 1 and chapter 2 verse 2. Between verse 1 and 2, 40 years expire. Because then in verse 2, this is the good news. Then the Lord said to me, you have made your way around this hill country long enough. You've made your way around. I don't know about you guys. I get tired of going around. Sometimes I agree, it's a rat race and the rats are winning because we're just going around in circles. And he said, now you've, you've gone around long enough. He said, now turn north. I have literally been in the front row of the, the, the airplane where I could overhear some of the radio traffic. And I remember one time when I overheard air traffic control come on and say to the pilot okay you can now make a turn and he gave them the directions to turn to go to the airport and I will hear the pilot come on and say ladies and gentlemen we've been cleared to land please fasten your seat belts and we everybody gets ready because yay we've been circling long enough being put on hold on a phone is frustrating being having to circle and not land at your destination is frustrating. But sometimes I, we need lessons 
on what to do when you're on hold. I mean, once you finally get through and you make that, that turn, everybody knows what to do when you arrive. But, but maybe you need a little instructions on what to do when you're in that holding pattern. When you feel, wait for, am I preaching to anybody today? That you feel like you're not making the progress that you need to make, that for some reason you're stuck at a place. You may, you may be uh, stuck in a place in your ministry. You may be stuck at a place in your business. You, you may be stuck at a place with your health or stuck at a place with your education or your relationships. You're in a holding pattern and nothing is happening. Everything is up in the air. And as far as you know, you might get diverted to a wrong destination. You see, when you're not making progress, what frustrates you is you're expending energy, circling areas you've seen before, but making no progress. Have you ever literally gotten so lost driving that, uh, well, I forget, men don't get lost when we're driving. We just go exploring. Come on, men. Amen. And, and you know what else? Men don't roll the window down to ask directions. If, you're, if you got your man card, you don't do that. Now, women, they'll roll down the... But what, why, say, why are you asking them? They may not know any more than us. But when you've passed the same place on the road twice, maybe you're on hold. And I'm preaching to some of you, you've passed the same place more than twice. So here, here's some suggestions about what to do when you're... You're in motion, but you're not making progress. Let me share some insights. When, when you're circling like that, number one, recognize that you're not alone. Every time I've been circling an airfield in an airport, I was able to look out the window and see other airplanes also circling. Because usually the circumstances that are keeping us from landing are also keeping others from landing. So sometimes when you feel like you're the only one in the world that's not making progress, I got news for you. You are not alone. There are other people trying to make the same progress you're making and they are circling. So you, a, a famous theologian recently did a Facebook survey and he asked Christians how many of them felt like they were stuck at a particular place in life. And 95% of them said, I'm stuck somewhere right now. So you are not alone. Others are also stuck. That means you haven't been singled out. That means that the things that are happening to you are also happening to others. Matthew 5.45 says that the rain falls on the just and on the unjust. So whether you're good or bad, sometimes you just have a thunderstorm. 
and it delays you arriving at your destiny. But just so you can take comfort in the fact you're not alone. And that tells you there's nothing wrong with you. Some of you needed to come to church today just to hear me say that. Look at your neighbor and tell them, there's nothing wrong with me. Oh, come on. Some of you really want to say that. I mean, say it. Just tell, look at, there's nothing wrong with me. Some of you enjoyed that way, way too much. There's nothing wrong with me. If you look around, there's others that are circling just like you. Waiting for better conditions. Number two, accept the fact that much of life involves waiting. That you can't really accomplish very much in life without waiting. You cannot even get permission to drive without waiting in line at the DMV. You know what one man said? He said, that is not hell, but it's purgatory. It's close to it because that line seems to be eternal. Why, 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 why don't the DMV figure that out? That they, they never, and what, I'm sorry. I'm, maybe you work there. But if you do, I've got questions. Why are there 17 different little desks up there, but only three people working at them? Can I get a witness? I don't get that. But I have to accept the fact that much of life involves waiting. And it's never easy to wait. We wait on friends. When will they get here? We wait on family members. Some of us wait on spouses to be ready to go to church. Don't look at me. See, my wife got ready before I did, and she was saying, I'm going on downstairs. I said, no, give me just a minute. Uh, there have been times when I've had to wait on her, but today it was her turn. She had to wait on me. She feels, she feels so good about that. Would you just congratulate her before this service is over? Just say, good job, Jean, good job. We wait on employees. And if you're an employer, we wait, we wait on the employees. We, we wait on doctors. Why can they not figure out somehow a, a strategy to, to tell you when to show up? Why have me show up at 11 when you're not going to see me until 3? I don't get that. Oh, can I get an amen from that? We wait on email responses. We wait on phone calls. And as hard as it is to swallow... Sometimes we wait on God. We're just kind of stuck. Waiting is actually a huge chunk of life. On this side of, of the veil, on this side of eternity, we spend a lot of our life waiting. Pregnant mothers wait for the baby to be born. Then you wait in line to pick your kids up from school. And then even when you go on a vacation and you go to Disney... Guess what you get to do? 
I don't know. Somebody needs to figure up exactly how many hours out of your day at Disney you spend waiting. But it's a lot. It's, you pay a lot of money just to stand in line. Uh, uh, wait a minute. Do you guys know a secret or something? Because some of you are like, no, I don't wait in line at Disney. I have heard that there's a secret way. If you know that secret, would you please tell me? Not right now. After church, I'll be right down here. Well, you congratulate my wife. You can tell me the secret of Disney. Because waiting. Consequently, we have a love-hate relationship with waiting. That means we love to hate it. We hate waiting, and we love to hate it. But we're living in a world that doesn't reward patience, and we're serving a God who's trying to work patience into our life. So we're in this tension. God is saying, I'm trying to get you to have patience. And the world is trying to say, oh, everything can happen quickly. Our technological world has addicted us to immediate gratification. But God seeks to work patience. He seeks to work endurance in us. And we have our high-tech gadgets and programs that reward our immature desire for instant gratification. A baby doesn't understand that you may have something else to do. All a baby knows is, I'm hungry right now. And some of us, in our immature ways, we just tell God, I need this right now. And God says, it's not time yet. And so what do we do? Same thing the baby does. Whine and cry. So human nature seeks to make things convenient. God tries to make things covenant. Human nature makes... In fact, tell me when is the last time you saw an old-fashioned popcorn popper? Probably at a garage sale, on sale for 10 cents, because nobody uses them anymore. Now we have microwave popcorn. And some of you are even impatient about that. You push the button and stare at the screen until the two minutes and a half is up and your popcorn comes out. It's like, if I stare at it, it goes faster. (laughs) Because we just have that sense of, I want it now. And God says, I'm trying to work patience into your life. So sometimes he lets the microwave break. Oh, I'm preaching good right now. I'm preaching good. God is trying to birth patience and endurance in us, and we keep trying to invent gadgets so we don't have to have patience. But patience is a gift of the Spirit. And Jesus Christ was patience incarnate. He spent 30 years of his life waiting for the right moment to start his three-and-a-half-year ministry. So normally, Jewish young men started work around 15. That meant he had a 15-year career as a Nazarite artesian, 
making furniture, building desks, and doing all of these things while in the back of his mind he knew what his real destiny was. And he still did not let it affect him. He was patient and he waited because he knew that doing something in the right season was more important than doing it when you necessarily wanted it done. Oh, I'm preaching good. So what I'm telling you is embrace the weight. And number three, use that time for preparation. You see, David was not crowned king until 20 years after he was anointed to be king. So, so Samuel poured the oil on David's head to anoint him. And there was a 20-year pause before anybody put the crown on David's head. We think that as soon as we are anointed, that then we'll be appointed. But God says, no, sometimes there's a long season between your anointing and your appointing. And you will have to be patient because God calls out in you what he sees at a very early stage. But man does not recognize what God sees often until a very late stage. So you cannot get impatient with the process. So what do I do? You spend that time preparing. David kept working on being a good shepherd. And he did not retire from taking care of sheep just because he was anointed. He became a better shepherd. And then he fought lions. And then he fought bears. And then finally he fights Goliath. And the next thing you know, the battles that he fight catapults him to the throne. But the preparation is what made him ready to reign. Otherwise, he would have been an immature king if he had not spent that time in preparation. So sometimes while you're on hold, the best thing you can do is prepare what to do when you get off hold. You know what I've done before? They put me on hold. I start writing down all the things I'm going to tell them when they come on the phone. That's pretty good use, isn't it? Then one time David moved. This is important. Paul spent most of his adult life, didn't start his ministry until late in life. I was talking to one of my daughters just the other day because she was a little frustrated that certain things hasn't happened in her life. And I said, everything that you know that Tommy Tenney has done basically didn't happen until after I was 40 years old. And from the time I was 40, it's like God took me on this, this ride and all the books and all the movies, and it's all happened since I was 40 years old. And when all of that began to happen, people would come up to me and say, wow, you are, just, you are an overnight success. And to be honest, that made me want to slap them <laughs> and tell them you have no idea how long that night was. 
because just because you saw me when I was 40, I have been doing the same thing I'm doing now since I was 20. So for 20 years I was doing it and nobody noticed it. And all of a sudden people notice and say, it's an overnight success. <laughs> no, I, I spent 20 years faithfully doing what God called me to do. And suddenly he says, now it's your time. But if I had grown into despair, Jesus, like I said, he spent most of his adult life, regardless of what you're waiting on, a business, a ministry, a partnership, a health restoration, your holding time is your preparation time. And number four, refuse to lose hope. Look at your neighbor and tell them, I will not give up hope. <laughs> Discouragement is normal. And I want to 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 be discouraged is not a sin. Oh, that, did, did you hear what I just said? Discouragement is not a sin. It's not even a sin to think about quitting because Jesus thought about it. He said, if it's possible, let this cup, is, is there another way? He thought about it, but he didn't. It's okay to think about quitting just so you don't quit. Because you know what? A lot of preachers get discouraged over what happens over the weekend and they, they, they quit on Monday. But Jeremiah quit one time too. He told his wife, I quit, I'm done. But then before the week was out, she saw him tuck his scrolls up under his arm and head back to the church. And she said, I thought you quit. And he said, I can't. It's like fire shut up in my bones. I can't quit. So don't lose hope. Discouragement is normal and it's not a sin. But what you want to avoid is despair. So I was addressing that with my daughter. I said, I understand you're being discouraged, but don't, take, don't be in despair. Because when David got in despair, the Bible said he moved from Israel to Ziklag in the land of the Philistines. David, how can you become king of Israel when you're living in Philistia? So God had to burn David's comfort zone. Yes, he set Ziklag on fire. That means God will sacrifice your comfort to, to preserve your destiny. And he will burn your comfort zone to get you back over here. David, your despair took you somewhere you shouldn't go. Discouragement, I understand, but don't get in despair. The same God that promised what he would do, he will do. But you have to keep standing on that promise. And I'm preaching to some of you. The enemy tries to move you off of your promise. You need to say, I'm putting super glue on my feet. One of these days, I'm just going to put super glue on my feet just to see how that works. Because some people, they cannot stay put 
their faith wavers and they lose hope and they move to despair and then they come, they're out of alignment. You see, David was out of alignment. God was ready to pour out the throne anointing right here. But David was over here. And so God said, "Mm, I have to burn that. And so David runs from a burning Ziklag and he heads back into Israel and finds out that Saul is dead. He arrives at Hebron and they crown him king. Because God keeps track of his promises. So while you're on hold, remember God is still on watch. Don't lose hope. Number five, while you're waiting, don't let your mind go to unhealthy places. Oh, that's good. Because while you're waiting, your mind starts going to, it'll never happen. It's going to happen for other people, but it's not going to happen for me. Your mind can go to dark places of worry and you'll start worrying about the worst possible outcomes. Instead of worrying about the worst possible outcomes, why don't you start thinking about the best possible outcomes? Resist your mind going, resist it like the plague. Believe that the Lord knows what he's doing and he will turn your trial into gold. Train your mind to consider the best outcomes and not the worst outcomes. Do you know why? Because fear and faith operate exactly the same. Oh, I want you to listen to me right now. I'm about to blow your mind. Job said, that which I greatly feared has come upon me. If faith is a car in drive going forward, fear is that same car in reverse going backwards. And just like you can have faith for something to happen, and it happens, you can have fear for something to happen, and it happens. And listen to our language. We, we sometimes ask people, how are you doing? And their response could be, oh, I'm afraid I'm taking a cold. Really? Uh, afraid I'm catching a cold. Really? Why are you chasing it? Uh, I, I'm afraid of this. Our own language betrays us. Because if you can faith something into being, you can fear something into being. And perfect love casts out all fear. So while you're waiting, rest in the perfect love of Jesus, that he knows exactly what he's doing. And that if you have faith, you will receive the best possible outcome instead of the worst possible outcome. Hallelujah. Number six, discover the intended lesson. We often get stuck down in the weeds and fail to see the big picture that God's trying to paint in our lives. So every once in a while, you need to just poke your head up above everything you're doing and say, okay, 
What is the lesson that God is trying to teach me while I'm on hold? Do you know what I, I have thought about? If, okay, I'm sorry. My mind goes places it shouldn't. But as much time as we spend on hold, they should teach us something. I, I stay on hold on the phone enough that I could have graduated with a college degree by listening to a professor teach something while I'm on hold instead of all that elevator music with somebody saying, your call will be answered in the order it was received. Why don't somebody invent something that teaches us something or that tells us stories? Then you wouldn't mind being on hold. Then if somebody said, oh, I'm here to end, can you hang up, please? I want to hear what the rest of that story is. I'm, I'm sorry. I know. I got But discover the intended lesson. Start asking yourself while you're on hold, what can I learn from this? And it transforms a roadblock into a graduate course to take you to the next level. And number seven, the last thing I wanted to tell you, stand on the promises of God. Oh, I'm going to say that again. Super glue your feet to the promises of God that he said it and that settles it. There are some scriptures that, that I use to help avoid my life uh, turning toward despair. Hebrews 11 and 1 says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction or the evidence of things not yet seen. Do you know faith is like evidence for something you haven't seen yet? Faith says, I have evidence that certain things are going to take place. Evidence is, is like your plane ticket to your destination. It's not your destination, but now when, when I call the airlines, they always want to know, do you have a confirmation number? You know what? The Bible gives me confirmation numbers. One of those is the one I just read. Hebrews 11. Another one is 2 Corinthians 5, 7. That's my confirmation number. For we walk by faith and not by sight. I will listen to what my heart sees more than what my head sees. Because I walk by faith and not by sight. I have another one. I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. My confirmation number is Mark eleven twenty four. Some of you need to write that down as your confirmation number. Why? Because that is a promise of the Lord. And I really like this one because they that wait upon the Lord Everybody say wait. Waiting is worship. You think waiting is doing nothing. When we are, what if you picture God as the customer in the restaurant and you are the waiter and by worshiping him, you're giving him what he wants. Can you imagine the kind of tip 
that God gives to a good waiter. I want to be a good waiter. I want to anticipate. I want to fill his plate full of worship because if I'm a good waiter, he tips big. Waiting is worship. It's not time. They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. You see me with this brace on my leg. That's one of the the scriptures I pray every day that I will run and not be weary. And the truth is I haven't yet run in the past year, but I'm getting ready to. I'm limping today, but I'm going to be leaping tomorrow. And I can't tell you when that tomorrow is, but I'm holding on. I might be on hold, but while I'm on hold, I'm holding on. Because one day, the answer is going to come through. He said, concerning Abraham, there's a long Romans 4. And Abraham was 75 years old. And the last part, Romans like 4, uh, 18 says, he, with, he, while he was weak in faith, he was as good as dead. <laughs> I didn't say that. He said, as good as dead. How possible is it for a man who is as good as dead to father a child? Abraham was given the promise of a child when he was 75 years old. Now, you know, occasionally, if a man has a young wife and he's 75, occasionally there can be a child. But when you couple the fact that he's 75 and his wife is not far behind him, when his wife heard the promise, she laughed. And God said, good enough. We're going to name that boy Laughter. So the rest of your life, you will remember you laughed at what I promised. I'm preaching to some of you that God has such an outrageous promise for your life that it just makes you want to laugh about it because it seems improbable. But I want to tell you, God doesn't even work on a problem when it's improbable. He waits until the improbable becomes the impossible, and then he starts to work. He promised Abraham at 75 he would have a son, but he waited 25 years later until he was 100 to give him the answer. So God promised it when it was improbable, put him on hold until improbable became impossible and then answered the promise. I'm preaching to some of you right now. You're wanting God to do it now. He's saying, no, I'm going to wait until it becomes impossible and until it's as good as dead. And then he says, now I'm going to work my work. I wish somebody would just say hallelujah. When I feel faith in this room right now. I'm going to say it again. When things move from improbable to impossible is when God intervenes. 
you, you may not have to wait 25 years because if, if you can learn the lesson quickly, then God will elevate you to the next level quickly. So just go ahead and figure out what is it I'm supposed to learn. And then let patience where you sit back and you say, whether it happens now or later, doesn't matter. It's just going to happen. And you, you, you no longer are impatient with God's process. Then he says, I might as well do it now because you've learned your lesson. God will, here, here's what happens. If I, can get, if I can get you to apply these seven little principles that I gave you, it will help you get to your destiny and you'll discover that what first felt like a disheartening setback was actually a valuable learning lesson in disguise and that holding pattern is a great faith builder for the next level. Because God did not pick up David from the sheepfold and immediately place him in front of Goliath. First, he let him deal with a bear. Then he let him deal with a lion. And dealing with the lion and the bear gave him a backlog of faith that when he faced a nine-foot, nine-inch-tall giant... He said, hmm, well, the same God that helped me take care of the bear and the lion. Your past victories are what fuel your future successes. So don't despise the day of the bear fight and the lion fight. God will keep elevating your battlefields until it's no longer about your survival and it becomes about the survival of the nation. Some of you don't want bigger battles, but God says, I want to raise your battlefield. You see, when he fought the bear, it was, it was him or the bear. When he fought the lion, he's alone with the sheep. It's him or the lion. But when he fights Goliath, it's not about his survival. It's now about the victory for the whole nation. So God will keep elevating your battlefields until when you are victorious, it's not just about your survival, it's about the survival of your whole family. It's about revival for your whole city. It's about bringing revival to a whole church. So don't despair when the battles get bigger. Give God some praise right now. Stand up and praise him. Hallelujah. I want to pray for you. I just feel it right now. Some of you are saying, my problems are getting bigger while I'm on hold. Well, God is trying to teach you that the same God who took care of all of these others is going to take care of that. Father, I pray right now. I pray for, for, for all of my... For, teach us the lessons of waiting on you. That, we, that when we learn how to be a good waiter, that it opens up the windows of heaven. Teach us that waiting is worship and that worship is warfare. And that while we worship, the, the heavens go to battle for us. Father, I, I pray that I pray that 
some of us would grow, no longer grow impatient with the own hold music. That we just say, God, whatever this lesson is, I need to learn. I'm committed to this process. And I'm standing on this promise. I refuse to move off of my promise until my turn comes. I speak that over my brothers and my sisters right now. In Jesus' name. Everybody said amen. amen. Turn around and get, tell somebody, give them a high five and say, hold on. Hold on. You may be on hold, but hold on because the answer is coming. Don't quit. Don't give up. Hold on. Give him praise right now. Would you?